My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it is so good to have you guys with us here today as we get started with Summer at the Gathering. Man, I'm excited about this series. It is eight weeks long. You guys, listen, we, we do, if you've been coming for a while, you've gotten used to like our three to four week and then something new structure, and that's because I've got something called the Attention Deficit Disorder. I, I get four weeks into something like, oh, look at this. I want to talk about this now, you know. And what, what's great about Summer at the Gathering is that for the next eight weeks, um, we're just going to share our hearts with you. Like, I, I'm just going to have the opportunity to be let loose a little bit. I'm not going to have all the, the series structure and planning that I normally have. Instead, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit move, and I'm going to let God tell me what we're supposed to talk about, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next eight weeks. I'm excited about it. I've already got some stuff in mind that I can't wait to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm talk, I got a message I was working on this week, a message for two weeks from today uh, called The God Who Relents. I'm guys, I'm excited about it. I can't wait for, uh, for this next eight weeks. We're going to share some exciting things with you about the future at the Gathering Church. If today is your first Sunday with us, welcome to the Gathering Church. We are so glad you're here. This is the right place to be, and it, it, might, it might be helpful for you to know we are a brand new church, and we have only just gotten started. We, we have only just begun. This has all just been practice games so far. We're about to kick this thing into gear. And so I'm excited about what's coming up in the next season and in the fall. And I'm so excited about what God's going to be doing right here in this season. And so but without any further ado, let me get started with today's message, uh, which I've called Followers Fish. Followers Fish. Fish, And so you may not know this about me, but I'm a very serious fisherman. I believe in it. I'm, I, I, I don't fish as much as I used to, but I believe once a fisherman, always a fisherman. Fishing was an obsession for me. You know, actually, I would say that the thing that I love the most about fishing is the way that people get obsessed with fishing. I mean, they get obsessed with it, right? This, fishing has destroyed marriages, you guys. Fishing is great. Fish, I, one of the things I love about fishing is the way that everybody who loves fishing, 90% of their clothing has fish on them, as though that's going to attract the fish. The fish will see the shirt, the teal blue shirt with a fish on it and be drawn forward to the fishing t-shirt. I love anything that people obsess over because I'm an obsessive person. The more you get to know me, the more you'll learn. I get obsessed about something and I'm all in and then I'm obsessed about the next thing and I'm all in. You know, I mean, I love people that obsess over sports. I've got a friend named Jeremy. Jeremy's on our dream team and Jeremy is obsessed with sports ball. I think he's like, and so what I like to do is any, anytime I can, I'll say something. I don't really care about sports but I'll say something controversial about the football games and, and just to get him going, you know, like I think he's a huge Cincinnati Bears fan. And so I like to talk about the NFL's team, the, the Cincinnati Bears in a way that will upset him and just kind of watch him go. I did that in the first service and I was talking to Jeremy in second service and he had found a stress ball and he was like, I'm just getting ready. I'm just getting ready for second service, man. I love it. I love the way people obsess over things. I love the way people obsess over fishing. Now, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. I grew up fishing for real fish. And so I know we're in the mountains now, and a lot of y'all fish in the mountains up here. And I just want you to know, if you fish in the mountains up here, the kind of fish that, uh, that, that we were fishing for down there, we were using the fish you catch for bait fish, okay? 
Like, that was just to get started. Like, we catch them in a net. It was like, whatever. And you throw a net out and catch, out, there, out there fly fishing. They fly fish around here to catch trout this big. Get real excited about it. You know, I, I don't care for fly fishing, and I'll tell you why. There's work involved. <laughs> to me, the best thing about fishing is that you put a live fish on that hook. You send him down there, and he does all the work for you. It's just an excuse to sit for a little while. You know, I love that about fishing. I was trying to think of my best fishing story to share with you this morning. There are so many. I, I have like a, a long series of misadventures in my life. Anything that I put my attention to um, typically goes horribly wrong. And so there's so many funny stories that I could think of, of things that have gone wrong with fishing. But when I think about being obsessed with fishing, I have to think about my Uncle Ben. And so my Uncle Ben is obsessed with fishing. He's a welder down in, or he, he's up in Spartan right now. He used to live down in Charleston. When he was a welder down there, there's all these industrial places he could have been a welder. He welded at the shipyard because when he welded at the shipyard on every break, he was throwing a line in the water. You know what I'm saying? He was bringing home a paycheck and dinner for the night. That's a good job right there. And so my Uncle Ben, he, he, he went to extreme measures to catch a fish. One time I was out fishing with him. And we were just offshore out of the Charleston Harbor in, in what's called the jetties. It's a big rock channel where the ships come in. It's a dangerous place. The waves are always smashing up against the rocks, but there's lots of fish out there. And how many of you know if you want to go fishing, you got to go where the fish are. And so we're out there where the fish are, and we're fishing. And my Uncle Ben, he's just fishing. All of a sudden, he catches him a whopper. A biggin', you know, and the, the pole bends over in half like this. And all of a sudden, he's looking at me. He's like, oh, I got me a big one. You know, that's kind of how he talks. He's from, he's from the country. You know, I oh, got me a big one. All of a sudden, the fish, the, the fishing pole launches into the water. And he stops, and he looks at us for a second. Next thing I know, he dives head first into the water after that fishing pole. And me and my dad are sitting there like, that man has lost his mind. We're going to have to wait for his body to float back up to the surface. Next thing you know, he comes swimming towards the top, fishing pole in his mouth like a pirate. Comes swimming up towards the top, climbs up in the boat, pulls the fishing pole out of his mouth, reels in a six-foot hammerhead shark. That's a fishing story right there. And how many of you know that this was probably 15 years ago, and that fish has been in that water growing every day since then. Gets bigger every time I tell the story. And so, and so I love to fish, you know, and, and, and I love that there's some, there's some fishermen in Jesus' life because I feel like I can, I can relate to them pretty well. So I'm going to talk about them, but I want you to know that today's message is one for the summertime. It's one for the summertime because here's something you may or may not know about church, it moves in seasons and rhythms like the rest of life. Uh, the church grows in the fall. The fall is typically the time, we call it the harvest season. It's the harvest season in the earth. It's the harvest season in the church. In the, in the wintertime, in the new year and all that kind of time, we see people who had been coming to church but had got busy, we see them coming back a lot in the, in the, in the new year season. In the summertime, it tends to get a little bit more laid back. Because people are going on vacations, people are enjoying the good weather. And so what we try to do is plan our calendar for the church year along these rhythms to try and catch momentum in the rhythms that we're in, especially with the teaching. And so in the summertime, we'll usually we'll do one, what we call an attractional series, an easy series to invite our friends to. 
We'll do one of those in the summertime to make it a great opportunity for you to invite people with you to church in the summer or for you to catch the, the message of the gospel like a new, a new excitement for it there in the beginning of the summer. And we just did that with our Something's Brewing series. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll put together a series of messages that really are for the heart of the church, like for the Christians in the audience, for the people who, who are faithfully coming even when the weather is great outside. You know what I'm saying? For the people, we're not talking about all those folks that are out at Sliding Rock today. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about you guys, the faithful that are in here this morning. Now, I know that not everybody in this room has been here before, that there's many of you in here this morning, it's your first time. I even know that some of you in here this morning don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, and that's okay. You need to know this is the place for you. At the Gathering Church, you can belong before you believe. We believe God is big enough for all your questions and all your doubts, and so you're welcome here. However, you need to know that our message today is written for the church. In fact, I believe that if this is your first time here, or if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, sometimes messages like this one are the best time to be in the church because you get to really see what the heart of the church is. You get to find out what people are saying when they close the doors. You ever go to a place where you meet somebody for the first time and you leave? And you know, I, this might just be a sickness I have. I always, as soon as I walk out and there's more than one of them together, I'm thinking, they're talking about me. What are they saying? This is an opportunity to get those questions answered right here, right now. So if, if you're in here today and you follow Jesus, I want you to lean in a little bit on this message because this one's for you. This is something that I hope we can learn from and that can challenge us to do something a little bit differently when we walk out of this place this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. It says... Uh, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now in John's gospel, we learn that Peter and Andrew met Jesus a few days earlier at the river when John uh, baptized Jesus. And so they got to see the, the, what took place when Jesus got baptized. The Bible says that everyone who was there heard a voice from heaven affirming who Jesus really was. And Andrew had been following John for some time, so he had been anticipating that a Messiah was coming, that somebody better than John was coming. So they had kind of been waiting for this moment. Now, it was common in those days for there to be popular teachers or rabbis, Jewish pastors, who would gather people around them to learn from them. A lot of these rabbis had disciples. Now, what a disciple's usual role was, was to sit and listen and learn. And eventually, they would take over from their rabbi if they were accomplished enough and had learned enough. And so that's probably what Andrew and Peter were expecting when Jesus said, come follow me. It wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to say, come follow me. I want you to be one of my disciples. But their anticipation was that their job would be to listen and learn. But that's not the call Jesus gives them. Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and watch what I'm going to do. Jesus said, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to put you to work. We're going to be fishers of men. I want you to take part in the work that I plan to do, and we're going to do it together. 
Now, maybe you've guessed at this point, especially if you've been in church for a while, where I'm going with all this. In fact, if you grew up in church like I did, you hear me, you hear a pastor say that fishers of men verse, and you think, oh no, he's going to ask me to tell somebody about Jesus. And we get uncomfortable. We get, oh no, the Baptists in the room are saying it's an evangelism message. Oh Lordy. We get a little bit awkward. There's two, see, we like it when the pastor teaches about potential and purpose because that's about me. That makes me feel good. We like it when the pastor teaches about breaking free from sin because that's about the person we're sitting next to, you know, and that feels good. <laughs> that feels good. <laughs> you know, I told you he was going to get you soon, you know. <laughs> But there's two messages that the pastor preaches that makes everybody a little uncomfortable. And that's a message on evangelism, on sharing the faith that we have and the promise that we have and the truth that we have because it requires us to risk our reputation. And it requires us to do something for others. And then we don't like it when the pastor preaches on the tithe because then he's talking about our money and we don't like that either. And so there's two messages that make us a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of tension here this morning. Maybe you're waiting on me to hand out a bunch of tracts after service and send you downtown. So maybe you're thinking, I already know how to tell people about Jesus. Real simple. It's a little, it's a square booklet. It's about the size of your hand. And on the last page, it's got the sinner's prayer. It's easy. It's how you tell people about Jesus. how everybody got saved in the 1990s, okay? And you guys just know that on your way out this morning, I'm going to be handing out tracts and sending you downtown. Or you're waiting for me to announce that tomorrow night we're beginning Monday night visitation, and you better get ready. Now, if you don't know what Monday night visitation is, in the church that I grew up in, every Monday night, we would all get together, and then we would go out to the neighborhoods around our church and knock on those doors, and they would open them, and we'd say, excuse me, do you have a moment to talk about your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And they would open up the doors, and it was horrible, and we will never ask you to do that Another thing that we would do on Monday night visitation is the pastor, anybody that had missed three weeks or more of a Sunday service, the pastor would go to their house and knock on the door and say, hey brother, everything all right? You ain't been by in a while. I just wanted to check in on you because I noticed you wasn't there. <laughs> you know. And so you're just waiting on me to get into any of that. And I just want you to know that we're not going to do any of that here this morning. It's not going to be that crazy. It's not, we're not going to go there. It's not going to be like that. In fact, all I want to do today is encourage you and equip you to do what Jesus has called you to do. That's what my job is. My job is to equip you to do the work of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, and the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And then it says to go out and do all the work of the church, and to tell everybody about Jesus, and to visit all the sick, and to do all the work that there is, so that everybody else can sit and listen and feel real comfortable. That's not what it says. Don't be ridiculous. That's how we treat it like it says a lot of times. I had a guy come up to me one time and say, and this is all the time in the church, come up to me one time and say, hey, Pastor, I think our church needs to start a hospital visitation ministry. And I said, that sounds like a great idea, man. There's so many sick people just needing hope in our hospitals. When do you want to get started with that? And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about me wanting to get started? I'm telling you, you need to do it. You're the pastor. You need to be the one to go bring people hope. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how the church works, and that's not how this church is going to work. You see, our, our philosophy here at the gathering is that we are the church, 
is that we are the church, is that the local church is the hope of the world. We carry that hope, that it's our job to bring the hope of Jesus to our neighbors, that it's our job to bring the healing of Jesus to our neighbors, that it's not my job and Robbie's job and Robbie's, it's not the pastor's jobs, it's not our leadership's jobs. Our job is to equip and go with you as we go together into this city. It says to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. And so I just want to do my job here this morning. I want to come alongside you. I want to encourage you. And I want to equip you to bring the message of Jesus to the people in our lives who are desperately in need of it. Now maybe as we're talking through this and, and you're thinking about the people in your life uh, who, 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 who are in need of this message of hope and you're, maybe you've got like this list of excuses and, and these reasons why you haven't shared Jesus with them or why you can't share Jesus with them or why you're not inviting people to church when you encounter people every day and you got all these excuses running through your mind. I heard a story about excuses. I wanted to share it with you. Now listen, I, I'm... I've, I've, got, I've got a pastor in my life and, and people in my life, and I, I, they're, they're Cajuns. See, the Arc, our, 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 our organization that we're a part of, the Association of Related Churches, is called the Ark. And the Ark has got a lot of guys that are from Louisiana. And so they're all these Cajun guys. And these Cajun guys are always telling stories about Boudreaux. Now, you may not know much about Boudreaux, but Boudreaux is just kind of your typical Cajun. And I just am always hearing them tell these stories about Boudreaux. And I get jealous because I don't have any. And so I just thought I'd share a Boudreaux story with you this morning about, about excuses. And so it kind of goes like this. One day, one day Boudreaux was driving and he was swerving all over the road. And so he got pulled over by a policeman. And the policeman came up to his window and he said, he said, Boudreaux, uh, you're going to have to step out of the car. I'm going to have to give you a breathalyzer test. And Boudreaux said, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. And the policeman said, why not? He said, well, because I, I got asthma. I do a breathalyzer test. I could die right here in this spot. So the policeman said, okay, then you're going to have to come down to the station. We're going to do blood work on you. We're going to do a blood test for alcohol, okay? And, and Boudreaux said, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I can't do that. And he, the policeman said, why? He said, because I'm a hemophiliac. You stick a needle in me, I could bleed to death right here in this spot. And then, and then the police said, all right, then I need you to step out of the car. You're going to have to walk a straight line. And Boudreaux said, no, 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 I can't do that. And the policeman said, why not? And Boudreaux said, because I'm drunk. <laughs> that was a funnier joke than y'all responded to, okay? <laughs> I want you to know that. I, I ain't moving off of that one. So we got no excuses. No excuses why we shouldn't be doing this. Here's a list of reasons why I think we don't share our faith and invite people and, and do all the things that Jesus has called and created us to do the way that we ought to. So I think one is this, is that sometimes we just didn't know we were supposed to fish. Sometimes we don't go fishing because we didn't know we were supposed to fish. So maybe the world that you grew up in and were around is one like the one that Peter and Andrew grew up in where oftentimes when you were called to follow, you were called to sit and listen. And America's got such a consumeristic culture that we've added it to the culture of church. And a lot of times in church, we think all we're meant to do is sit and listen. And maybe you came into faith in an environment like that, and you just didn't know that it was your job to go out and fish. I understand that. Second reason is sometimes we just don't know how to fish. 
We just don't know how. We, we've not been taught. We've not been equipped. We get, we get scared about all, We know all the ways that, that don't work, like yelling at people from street corners with a megaphone. We know angry signs don't work. We know tracks left on the urinal in the bathroom usually don't work. Maybe they have for somebody. Praise Jesus for that. Knocking on the door often doesn't work. It drives people away. We know all those things don't work, but what we don't know is what does. And then sometimes I think we're just afraid to fish. We just... We're just scared. I've got two sisters, an older sister, Lauren, and a younger sister, Jessie. That's right, I'm a middle child. That should, that, should, that should answer some questions for you guys about why I am the way I am, okay? Middle child. And my, uh, my older sister, she loved fishing just as much, if not more, than I did growing up. She would do the whole thing. She would bait the hook, you know, and she'd, like get, she'd cut squid up, which is, if you ever cut squid up, it's the grossest thing in the world. There's parts coming out of it the whole time. She'd cut it up and put it on the hook, throw it out there. When she caught the fish, she would take that fish off the hook, you know, and throw him back and throw it at me usually and make, make me kiss him, kiss the fish, you know, just the things older siblings do, and then throw him back in the water. She was all in, but my little sister was a different story. She was afraid to fish. Now, she would not, baiting the hook was just a non-starter. If somebody wasn't there to bait the hook for her, she was not going to fish. So my dad, to this day, my little sister's almost 30, and to this day, my dad is still baiting the hook every time she goes out fishing. And then when she catches a fish, if dad or her husband or somebody else is not there to take the fish off the hook, she's got a method to take that fish off the hook. She shakes it like this until, he fall, until his lips fall off and he goes back in the water. If you're an animals person and that makes you feel sad, her name is Jessica Connor. I'll give you her address later. You can write her a letter. She's going to get me for that. Sometimes we're just afraid to fish, and that's okay. So we, we, we can be afraid uh, to let people know that we're a fisherman because we live in a context where that can make you unpopular really fast for people to find out that you're a Christian. Or, or we're afraid to touch the bait because we don't want to share our personal stories with somebody else. That shows weakness. That shows, that, that's too personal. It's too touchy. How do we do that with somebody that doesn't have Jesus? We, we don't know what people will think of us if we invite them to church. They'll think we're pushy. They'll, they'll think that we're, we're trying to oppress them with what we believe. They, they won't like it. They won't want to be our friend anymore. We'll get fired from work. We'll, we'll be kicked out of the family. We don't want to risk showing them our bait. And then we have no idea what we would do if we caught anything. What if we shared Jesus with somebody and they wanted to enter into a relationship with him? What do we do then? We say, oh, okay, great. We, we don't know what happens next. Or what if we invite somebody to church and then they come to church? Then what are we supposed to do? Where are they going to park? Sometimes the parking lot's full. What's going to happen if they meet a weirdo? Sometimes there's weirdos. What's going to happen if John Mark tells a horrible joke and then forces people to laugh? They're going to hate that. <laughs> we don't know. We get, we get so afraid to fish, and we, we just have a lot of excuses. And at the end of the day, we, we, just, we just don't want to be one of them, you know? We don't want to be one of, you know who I mean, those Christians. Like, we don't want to be one, we're like a, no, nah, you don't get it, I'm a cool Christian. Like, you don't, you don't, I don't want to be one of those Christians, you know, the kind with the Jesus fish and God bless America and all caps at the end of every email, you know, and the whole nine yards, the t-shirts that are, look like one thing, but then they got a Bible verse on them. We don't want to be like that. But listen, this is so important. Learning how to fish, going fishing for people is so important. And I, I'll tell you why. Because we were all fish once. Because we were all fish once. See, here's the thing. I, I, don't, know, 
I don't know your story, but maybe you were like me, and you were completely broken and empty and lost. And somebody said, I know where you can find healing and direction and who can make you whole. Maybe you grew up in church and you followed Jesus as long as you can remember, but there was a moment when somebody made it personal for you. Maybe you just always felt like there was something missing in your life and one day you heard the name Jesus and it became clear that's what you were looking for. There are so many stories in this room. Every follower of Jesus in this room has a story of their life being transformed and changed. Stories of victory and freedom and hope and light finding its way into dark places. I know my story. You see, I, I, was, I, I grew up in the church, but it just never connected with me. I, I can't, it took me a long time to explain all the reasons why, but at the end of the day, I felt like I was in a, a religious system and not being moved towards a relationship. I felt like there was all these expectations standing between me and God that I would never come close to, and it frustrated me. And then by 19, I had become so frustrated with the church that it became a bitterness with the church, an anger with Christians. I didn't want anything to do with either of those things. And over the next two years, I became more and more angry and bitter and depressed. And I remember the root of that depression, very like it was yesterday. See, I felt like I was made for something. Like there was purpose and meaning buried inside of me, but that it had nowhere to go. It had no one to drive it. That there was no reason for it. And it, all it was was an emptiness, a longing for something that I just could not find. And that bitterness grew. And that emptiness grew. And that depression grew. And I just kept looking and looking and looking and looking and hoping that somebody would just come through, that somebody would stand before me, that somebody would have the truth, and I couldn't find it. I became so frustrated that I hit rock bottom. And when I say I hit rock bottom, I'm not, I'm not using hyperbole. Like I, One night I was so depressed and so convinced that there was no meaning in this life, that, that all I had to offer people was pain, that all I had to offer people was hurting. One night in my apartment, I loaded a 45 Colt, gun, put it to my head, and pulled the trigger. I fully committed. It was a misfire. The round didn't go off. Bad bullet. And I remember that night feeling so worthless that I couldn't even kill myself properly. And over the next few weeks, that pain just grew. And that hole just grew. I felt like I had died that night. Died to life. Died to, died to any hope that there ever would be. And that was when somebody stood in the way for me. See, I was getting underway. I was in the Coast Guard at the time, lived on a ship. I was going on a 90-day deployment. And before I went on the de deployment, I decided to call up the one person in my life who remained a strand of hope connecting me to life, connecting me to this world, a person that I just, I just love to be around, just, lo just love, to, love to look at, if I'm being honest. I'm married her later. <laughs> but just loved to be around, you know, and I called her just to let her know I was getting underway. We were just friends and just, just to say goodbye. And she said something to me that shook my world. She said, John Mark, I can see how hurting you are. And I can see how empty you are and how, how broken you are. And honestly, it's hard for me to be around because you're destructive and you're bringing me down with you and you're, it's painful to be near you. And I can see that you're searching. And I know what you're searching for. 
you're desperately searching for a relationship with Jesus. He's the only one that can bring you hope. He's the only one that can bring you healing. He's the only one that can bring you what you've been looking for. You will not find it where you've been looking. What you're looking for, you will only find in relationship with Jesus. And I'm here today. I'm alive today. This church exists today because Raelle Marie Wilson at the time decided that she was going to go fishing that morning. Thank you. You find you one that good, you marry her. Listen up, singles. My wife stood in the gap for me. Said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to let this one go. I'm not letting this fish swim by. This one's mine. I've got the hope he desperately seeks, and I have to share it with him. And listen to me, Christian. If you look at your story, somewhere in your story is somebody offering you the hope you desperately needed, and it's your turn. It's our turn. Now's the time. Somebody did it for me, and now my life's great hope My life's great passion is to do it for as many people as I can while I've got breath in me. Every hopeless, hurting, broken person I come in contact is a fish I'm going to cast a line in the water for. You need to know that if you've been forgiven, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've been made whole, you get to offer that wholeness to somebody else. It's our time to go fishing. It's our time to get in front of somebody else. There's a passage in Ezekiel where God, where God is searching for somebody to stand up for his, for his people, to stand up for his people who are hurting and who are broken, and, he's, and he gives them a vision of a, of a wall with a gap in it, and he says, I'm just searching for somebody to stand in the gap for those people. Who are you going to stand in the gap for? Who is it time for you to stop keeping this hope to yourself and to offer it up to? It is our life's greatest calling. It's the biggest, it's the most important thing that we get to do. And we've got to do it. Plain and simple. Now listen. Church, fall is coming. And it's the harvest season. Now you may or may not know this. I married a farmer's daughter. I grew up in a pool in a neighborhood with a pool, so I know a lot about farming already. But I married a farmer's daughter, and that farmer's daughter has taught me a lot about farming. Here's what I've learned: we always talk about the harvest like it's this great easy time because of fall and the leaves and everything, you know. And there's a corn maze, and you just walk through that corn maze, and if you get lost, you just beeline straight through the wall because it's corn, you know. And and, and what we forget is that the harvest season is the hardest season. In the life of the farmer, that's when he has to do all the work. And I'm just telling you, harvest season is coming. The, the pe- but without even inviting anybody, in just a couple months, people are going to come in this place who are hungry and starving for the hope that we have to offer. And it is our job to meet them here. And it is our job to go to those who are just waiting for an invitation, just waiting for the right conversation, just waiting for your story to engage with that. It's our job to go out into the harvest. It's coming. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. We've got a series coming up. September 9th is going to be a landmark day in the gathering church. Get ready. We'll tell you why soon, but it's coming up. Get ready for it. And September 9th, we're starting a series called Identity Crisis. 
An Identity Crisis is a series we're writing for your friends and for your family and for the people in your life in desperate need of hope. It's all about how this culture is defining identity very differently than the way God defines identity. And what does it mean for us to bring them together? How do we, how do we define ourselves the way God defines ourselves in a, in a culture that defines us some way differently? Listen, it's going to be a great series for the people in your life who don't know Jesus. And we're going to make it easy for you to invite them. We're going to do marketing. We're going to do events. We're going to give you invite call, All the things you need. We're going to be there for you. But we got to get ready for it. And we got to commit ourselves to be ready for the harvest season. We've got something coming up in just a couple weeks that I'm really excited about. It's called 21 Days of Prayer. 21 Days of Prayer. Here's what I'm convinced of. Whatever we're going to do, we should pray first. Like whatever we set out to do in life, in ministry, whatever, pray first. So what we want to do as we get ready for that season, as we get ready together for that season, is take some time to pray for what God's going to do. And we're going to use that 21 days of prayer to kind of come out of the summer slump. You guys know what I'm talking about. Kids are home from school. You're in a slump. Come on. And so we're about to send kids back to school. We're getting out of the summer slump. You know, we're getting up early and going to the gym again, even though winter's coming and who cares, you know. And so we're, we're, we're going to get out of that summer slump, but we're going to pray for 21 days. Here's what I'm telling you. 21 days, I want you to write down names of people in your life, and I want you to pray for them every single day for 21 days that God is going to interfere with their lives. But you've got to do your part. That's coming. It's all coming, okay? We've got to get ready for it. We've got to prepare ourselves to go fishing. So let's commit ourselves to becoming better fishers of men. We've got to start now. And here's why. Number one is this, fishing is easy. Uh, I'm sorry, number one is fishing is fun. Fishing is easy, now you know my second one, I'm nuts. Spoiled the ending. Fishing is fun. Oh my gosh, you guys, listen, there's no greater joy in this life than watching a poor, defenseless animal struggle for air. (laughs) I'm just telling you, it's the best. And also, when you're fishing for people, it's great. Listen, (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting some emails for that one. I just know it. I'm very sorry. Anyway, here's what, here's what I know. Fishing is fun because there is no greater joy in this life than watching somebody walk from darkness to light. There is no better joy you will ever experience. There is no activity you could do, no hobby you could generate that is going to give you more joy than watching somebody move from death to life. That's backwards, in case you didn't know. We get to experience it. We get to be a part of it. It's the most fun you could ever have. Watching somebody who is in a state of hopelessness find and hold on to hope is one of the most exciting things you will ever be a part of. Luke 15.10 says, in the same way I tell you, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's such a big deal that there is a party in heaven every time somebody gives their life to Jesus. When we take part in that journey with them, we get to join in the celebration of heaven. It is fun to go fishing. And it's fun because we have what people are already looking for. 
You know, we already have, well, you, you, ever, you ever been a part of like a group search effort? <laughs> you know, somebody loses their cell phone at a place and you're trying to leave. They're at the restaurant, you know, and somebody's lost their cell phone. Everybody starts looking for it. At my house, my, my, ta- my three-year-old loses her blanket seven to ten times a day. You know, where is my blanket? You know, she's losing her mind about it. Me and Rael are searching. I love to be the person that finds it. Don't you? Isn't it the best to be the hero? You're just like, you're like, there's like music playing and you're like, I have discovered the location of the holy blanket. Here you go. It's the best feeling in the world. And listen, you have what people are looking for. They just don't know it yet. You have the answer to every question that has ever been on their hearts in the name of Jesus. We, we, we get to be the ones that bring meaning to people's life. We get to say, hey, look, I'm just the messenger, right? And listen, nobody likes to be the bearer of bad news. Everybody likes to be the bearer of good news. And we get to be there, look, I'm just the messenger. You know, I got, you ever have really good news that somebody else's that you get to share with people? I love when people tell me they're pregnant and then say, don't tell anybody. I'll tell you what, no one's ever going to tell me it again, but here's what I always do. I always pick one person in my life to spoil it to because I want to be the one to tell them. You know, I'm like, hey, guess what? Did you know so-and-so's pregnant? Yeah, it's a secret. Nobody knows yet. Just me and you now, you know, and they get all excited and you get to steal that from somebody that wanted to tell them. I'm just saying you get to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else. You get to be the one. You get to experience the reaction. You get to give Jesus his good news. And Jesus doesn't even care. He wants you to do it. I love that. I love sharing good news with somebody. There is no better news than this. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God gave us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. There are so many people in your life who are absolutely crushed by the weight of their sins, crushed by the guilt they go through every single day because of the mistakes they've made. And you can be the person to look them in the eyes and say, God's not counting those anymore. You get to be free. You get to be free. He said, it says that he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. Come back to God. Second thing is, and you already know, but fishing is easy. And we're trying to make it easier for you at the gathering. Listen, we think this is a great place to bring your friends. We work hard to make it a great place to be your friends. We're thinking about what it looks like to invite people to this church constantly. What is it, what's it like for the first-time guests, for someone who's important to me to walk into this place for the first time? It means something different to you when you've got somebody who you want to impress with you, doesn't it? You know, I, I was saved on that boat uh, while I was underway. Rael gave me that, that message of what I needed. I searched God's word, and I found what I was looking for. I gave my life to Jesus. We got back in port, and I was living in Florida, and I, and I wanted to find a church to go to. And so this, this city that we're in in Florida, I'm, I'm going to tell you where because you might know this church, but I, I, I grew up Baptist, so I was like, I'll go to the first Baptist church of this city, and that's what I did. 
And so I walked in, brand new Christian man, just, I had that new Christian mojo going, I was excited, you know, and I walked up to this church, it was a beautiful building, stained glass windows, steeple, I come walking in and there's this gentleman with, it looks like he's just full of wisdom, you know, standing there holding the bulletins with his suit jacket on, and I walk up to him and I, sh- I shook his hand, you know, I was like, hey, how's it going? He, he, and I was wearing my nicest clothes, I had my khakis on, my Guy Harvey t-shirt, that's a pocket t-shirt, okay, that's a dressy t-shirt, and, and my leather flip-flops, all right? I wasn't wearing no, like, you know, no, no rubber sandals up in there. And the guy pulled me in on the handshake, did one of these. This is the worst thing people do. Pulled me in on the handshake and said, son, we dress up for church around here. First thing somebody said to me there. So I said, okay, sorry about that, you know, and I walked in thinking that was weird. Maybe it was just him. He's grumpy. Fine. And I walk in and I, and I want to get close to the action because I'm excited. And so I, I see this church building, and I walk up to the second pew, you know, and I sat down front and center. I wanted to make eye contact with the pastor. I wanted him to know I was there. And, uh, and I sat down, and this sweet little old lady starts moving towards me, and I'm thinking, whew, finally, this lady's going to come give me a hug, tell me welcome to the family. She's so excited that I'm here. She might give me like one of those kisses like old ladies you don't know do sometimes, and you're like, ooh, I don't like that, but thank you, you know, and she's coming. And then all of a sudden, she, she leans in a little bit, and she says, Son, you're in my seat. Let me tell you something. I didn't go back to that church. See, I had a lot of friends in the Coast Guard who were lost, who who were hopelessly searching for Jesus. And I wanted to be able to bring them to church with me, and I knew there was no way I could bring anybody who didn't already know Jesus into that place. And as we dreamed about what this church would be, I just, I thought back to that experience, and I thought, that will never be the gathering church. Nobody will ever have an experience like that here. This is going to be a place where people feel wanted and welcomed the first time they walk on our campus. That from the beginning, they know this was a place for them that we dreamed about the day they would come here. That we want them here. That they can grow here. That they can be not okay here. That they can be broken here. And that they can ask questions here. And that we're just going to come alongside them and give them that hug and tell them we're so glad you're here. That's the gathering church. And so we, we're always thinking whenever we're designing new things or making changes in the service order or whatever it is, we're thinking about the people you would bring. We're thinking about the people you would invite to this service. Listen, I, I just want you to know that if you go out of your comfort zone and you invite somebody to sit with you on a Sunday morning, that my goal is to make it the very best possible experience they could have had and that they could experience, to give them the opportunity to experience new life in this place. We try to make it easy for you. We do everything that we can. And I want you to know that, that it's not just up to us. That the, the easiest, I, I, I turn off text messages on my iPad most of the time, and I forgot to this morning. My little sister just texted me and said, John Mark, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yes. Hey, Jesse, sorry about that. Love you. Mwah. All right, <laughs> now I'm dead. I'm really dead. Can I hide at one of y'all's houses? She knows where I live. <laughs> Anyways, all right, that's so good. What was I talking about? Easy, fishing is easy. And listen, all right, there's two, two best ways. Two, I'm almost done. Listen, lean in with me for a minute. 
The two best ways that you can share your faith, that you can walk with somebody from death to life, two best ways are just like this. First is to invite somebody to church with you. Because this, is an, this, this environment is designed for them to know God. That's what we're doing here together. You don't have to, just like everything else in the Christian walk, you don't have to do it alone. The church is here to come alongside you. The church is here to come with you, to partner with you, to soften the blow, to make it easier. Fishing is a lot more fun when it's a group event. Listen, I'm telling you, inviting people to church is easy. Right outside those doors, every Sunday is a stand that says, make a difference for others. And it's got all these little business card invites that you can put in your wallet and whip it out right at the right moment. Hey, you want to come to church with me? Yeah, but I don't know where it is. There's the address and the service times and a picture of one of our greeters. You're welcome. You know, and so we try to make that easy for you. But the other thing to do is so easy as well. So the second best way to tell somebody about Jesus, maybe the first best actually, is just to share your story. Because, you know, this is a contradictory culture. We live in a Google world. There's a fact checker on every corner. I never get to say anything without getting fact checked anymore. And here's the thing. They can't fact check your story. You know what I'm saying? It is, listen, you, you, know, you could try to, to argue theology with somebody. You could try to argue apologetics is what we call it when you argue the faith with somebody. You could do that all day until you're blue in the face. But they can't argue with what Jesus has done in your life, what Jesus has done for you, the way he's transformed you. Nothing is more powerful. No, nothing will create a bigger impact on the people around you than telling them what Jesus has done in you. All you got to do is share your story. And you want to know how and when to do that? It's easy. You will know the moment. And I wanna t- I'll tell you how right now. You got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you could get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We talk about, maybe I'll talk about what that means in the summer at the gathering. But you get to ask the Spirit of God to come live inside of you and the spirit of God will be with you every step of the way. When you share your faith with somebody, it doesn't have to be just your words. It could be the spirit of God's words. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you waiting for you to start sharing your story. And it's like a muscle. The more you connect with the Spirit of God, the more you speak and communicate in the Spirit of God, the stronger the Spirit of God will be upon you. I'm telling you, you don't have to do it by yourself. I'll even give you three ways you know it's time to invite somebody to church or share your story. Here you go. This is new for 11 o'clock. Number one, when somebody says things are not going well. You ever been in a conversation with one of your friends? You know, you're out, for, you're out for coffee, you're out for a beer, you're having them over for dinner. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm not doing, things aren't going well, man. I'm at, I, I, hit a, I, hit a, I hit a wall at work. Or, man, my marriage is a mess right now. I know it seems like everything's okay. It's not. Or, man, I, I don't know what to do with my teenage kids. They hate me. I can't, I, things aren't going well. Ooh, that's a great time to invite somebody to church and offer them hope, to share your story of hope with them about what God's done in your life. When somebody says, I was not prepared for I was not prepared for this, man. I, life was going this direction and then this happened. I just was not prepared for that. That's a great opportunity to share your story. And when somebody says, I'm not from around here, you ever meet somebody and they say, oh, hey, hey, welcome. Hey, how you doing? You know, it's so good to see you today at the place we're at. Uh, where are you from? Oh, I'm not from around here. You know what they need? They need community. They need it today. Invite them to church. It's easy. Fishing is easy. Third thing, fishing is necessary. Fishing is necessary. We have got to tell people about Jesus. We got to bring people to church. We got to share our story of hope and redemption with somebody else. There's an urgency. Heaven 
and hell are real places. And every person you know will spend eternity in one of them. And I don't mean to get all fire and brimstone on you, but listen, it's real. And there is an urgency. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe on the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm sending you today. Now it's our job to preach. It's our job to communicate this with somebody else because they need it. If we don't tell them, who will? Come on, church. It's necessary that we go fishing. There's this Christian belief that Jesus is coming back one day. It's actually our great hope because right after Jesus left, there was an angel there who said, why are you looking up in the sky for? Jesus is coming back. Don't worry. Jesus is coming back. Same way you saw him leave, he'll return. And we get more and more of what that means for us as the scriptures unfold. Specifically, in John's revelation, we see that one day this broken world will be made whole again. When Jesus comes back, he's going to restore the brokenness in this earth and bring it to completion and perfection. And everybody who's accepted this gift of forgiveness gets to live on in eternity on this new earth in the presence of God in a world without suffering. Doesn't that sound good? Aren't you excited about that day? I'm excited. But here, it's, it's, it's our great hope. But then there's this verse in Peter, man, that, that kind of gets me motivated. Because Peter's talking about the day Jesus is going to come back. And he's talking to the, to the folks that would doubt him. Because even in Peter's time, the people who would mock Christianity would say, Hey, where's Jesus? Didn't he say he was coming back? Why hasn't he come back yet? And Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus isn't slow in coming back. God hasn't broken his promise. He's coming, but he wants as many of us to spend eternity with him as possible. And my conviction is that every time we lead somebody closer to Jesus, we move one step closer to the hope all creation has been waiting for. Finally, last thing is this. We're supposed to go fishing because Jesus asked us to go fishing. Jesus asked us to go fishing. I mean, it should, should be enough for us to hear that. We shouldn't have to hear anything else, but a couple verses for you. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark 16, 15, it says, And then he told them, Go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Luke 24, 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for those who repent. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. For good measure, Acts 1, 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the ends of the earth. We call it 
the Great Commission, I call it a good reason to go fishing. Listen, the, the, the call of Jesus is not just to listen and learn. I think a lot of times in America, this has just become the culture we've created in church. We've made it okay for us to just come and listen and learn. And we always talk about how we're being fed. And we say, yeah, I, I didn't go to that church anymore because I wasn't being fed there, man. That pastor, he, he wasn't feeding me enough. And I'm just wondering how many of us still have our parents feed our food to our mouths and how many of us have learned how to feed ourselves. And here's, here's the thing. I don't mean to come down, but here's the thing. We, we're going to have to learn how to feed ourselves so that we can go fishing and bring this to other folks. We, we got to get out there. If we don't, who will? It's not the pastor that's going to bring hope and healing to this city. It's the church. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus had a plan to bring healing to this world. And it's the local church. It's what we can do when we do it together. And I've been in this city. And I've walked around the streets downtown. I've looked people in the eyes and there's a darkness here. And there's a bitterness here. And there's a longing here. And you just need to know we have the answer to all of it. I have conversations with my neighbors and they're talking about the loneliness that they have. And the brokenness that they feel and the problems that they see. And I'm just thinking, I've got the answer to that. I've got the, I've got the keys to everything that is holding you captive. And what does it say about me if I keep it to myself? What does it say about me if there's somebody outside my door that is hurting and in desperate need of healing and I have the power to offer it to them and I just stay inside? What does that say about me? Listen, Jesus is going to call this city to himself. There will be healing here. There will be hope here. People will enter from death to life in this city. I believe God called us, called me and my family to the city of Asheville because this is a city where he wants to bring revival. I don't mean to get old school on you, but I'm talking about revival. I'm talking about a city that turns its entire heart towards Jesus. I'm talking about a place that is known for its departure from the church to be known for the way it pursues God. I'm talking about a city that is known for its darkness to be known as a city of light. I'm telling you, this is the place. He's going to build his kingdom here, church, and we get to be a part of it. But we've got to make a decision to get up and go fishing. We got to do what somebody did for us and we got to go stand in the gap for the relationships that we already have and for the ones we don't have yet. Maybe you've been listening to all this and you're thinking, I don't have anybody in my life that, that's lost. I mean, who am I supposed to share? Everybody I know goes to church. I think you've got a problem then because you're fishing in waters that are all fished out. You know what I do when I'm fishing in waters that are all fished out? I just pull up the anchor. I go fishing somewhere else. Just go find a spot where they're biting you got to build relationships with people in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in the city that you live in that don't know Jesus because they need what you've got. you got to be the one to bring it to them. And we just got to share it as much as we can. There is no other reason that you are here in this world. There is no other reason that we have this life, that you have breath in your lungs, except to share this good news with every person you meet. Let's get as obsessed about it as we get about fishing sometimes. Let's let it consume our thoughts and our attention and our focus. And let's share our stories of healing with the ones who are hurting. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, God, and just for what you've done in my life, God. Thank you for rescuing me, for seeking me, God, for finding me, for pulling me up out of hopelessness and giving me life, God, for taking somebody who was dead and resurrecting them out of the grave, God. Thank you for transforming me and for changing me, God. Give me the courage and the boldness and the strength to do it for my neighbors. Give me the courage and the strength to do it for my family members, God. Father, let your spirit's power grow inside of me and inside the people of this church that, Lord, we wouldn't be able to let a moment pass by where we could have pointed somebody closer to you. Father, I just ask that you would you'd bring revival to this church, God, that you'd start right here. We believe revival is coming to this city. God, we play, pray for revival in the church, Lord, that right here we would just catch your spirit's fire. That, God, we would, we would just have your words pouring out of our mouths before we know what's happening. That, God, you would open our eyes to every opportunity we have this week, this week. That you'd put names on our hearts of people we can be praying for, God. That we can lay before you, Father. That we can ask for your spirit to start working on their hearts that they would be ready. God, we just... We give it to you, Lord. We give this moment to you. We give this summer to you, God. We commit our lives to do your commission. We love you. Be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.